You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right. How is everybody? Do I have to do that again? Yeah, how is everybody? Dave does it. I might as well. Okay. Um, So Dave was gone this week. Uh, He was in Louisville, Kentucky for like, what, four days, Dave? Three days? Did you have a good time? All right. So uh, Dave asked me to preach... Probably like, what, a month and a half ago, he's like, hey, I'm going to be gone at this conference, man. Uh, he's like, here's the text you're going to be, you know, preaching on, and um, have fun. you got like six weeks to prepare. And about two weeks ago, uh, I get a text message, and I'm like eating my cereal and having my coffee, and it starts out with, hey, man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, you got to preach in like two weeks. So I'd been studying a completely different text. And Dave's like, hey, man, uh, I'll be out of town. Hope you can swing it. See ya. So, um, you know, I love a challenge. So I uh, started looking over what Dave asked me uh, to preach on and realized when I do, there's going to be a lot of people that probably don't like me afterwards. Um, Clifton laughs, but I'm serious. (laughs) Um, But, okay, so with this text, though, you know, it's important that sometimes we go back to the foundations of what we believe, that we return back to where we come from to see the beauty and the mystery of our faith. Um, You know, this always has to begin and always has to end and always has to return to the cross. You know, and today I'm going to attempt to explore the depths of what actually happened on the cross and I am going to fail. You know, we will spend our, our eternity delving into the mysteries of what I'm about to talk about. And we're going to exhaust that entire eternity. And we're not even going to begin to understand the beauty of it all. We're not going to even understand a fraction of the percentage of the mysteries and glories of God once we've had it our eternity. I mean, it's endless to to ponder and learn and think about the beautiful thing that God has done through, through the cross of Christ. Um, so our text today comes from Luke 23, 32 through 43. And I think you guys have it in the NLT. I have it in the ESV, so this will be awkward. Um, I'll read what I have. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And, said to Jesus, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do, not, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, um, 
for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what stands out there? It's Christ's prayer to start off with. Christ said, Father, forgive them. So I think to fully grasp um, the weight of that, we have to reflect back to some of the things Dave has talked about over the past couple of weeks. So if you were here, great. If you weren't, I'll catch you up. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Dave preached on Christ's prayer in the garden. Um, Christ asked God if there's any other way to, to, to bring men back to you. Let it be done that way. And Christ was still arrested in the garden. You know, and then since then, we see Christ has been betrayed, arrested, beaten, given an unfair trial, beaten again, mocked, denied, rejected, unfairly punished, beaten again, mocked again, and then beaten again. His beard was plucked, he was stripped naked, beat with whips, scourged, mocked again, and then forced to carry his own cross. And then they nailed him to it and hung him up to be mocked and tortured until dead. And he said, Father, forgive them. We read in the scriptures, we know Christ was innocent. He'd done nothing wrong. They said he blasphemed. You know, he claimed to be God, but he is God. He is the Christ. His miracles were evidence of that. His teachings were evidence of that. And they still turned him over to be executed. And he said, Father, forgive them. Why? Why would Christ say that? Because this was the whole reason he came. This was his whole purpose, his whole mission. Christ came to save wicked and bad people. You know, it's not this, the church crowd and it's not the priests that Christ came to save. They didn't see him for his, for his beauty. They only saw their self-righteousness and the, and the law in front of them that they thought they were keeping. And this was the will of God. And being in perfect unity with the Father, Christ made this his mission, to save bad people. So he submitted to the will of God because we couldn't do that. The book of Romans says that we're enemies of God. We'll never submit ourselves to the law of God. We can't. We have an inability to do that because of our wicked, sinful nature and our wicked, sinful hearts. We hate God. We hate his law, and we're going to rebel against it. So... We see Christ taking the wrath of God for our sin because we couldn't do it. We couldn't bear that. We would die eternally in hell if left up to our own devices. He persevered through the suffering on the cross because he knew that he was being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins, and he was bearing the punishment that would bring us peace and reconciling bad people to God. And he had to do it because we couldn't do it. Had it been any of us on the cross, we would have caved under the temptation and climbed down, if we're going to be honest. If we think of of the temptations of Christ to sin, that had to have been the greatest. Because Christ was falsely accused, falsely beaten, mocked, and had the full power and right to climb down and exact his own justice. But he didn't. He submitted to the will of God through his suffering. Had it been anyone else in this room, we couldn't have done that. 
we would have taken justice and demanded that things be made right. That, that judgment be paid on our torturers. Had it been me, I would have climbed down on that from the cross, pulled the nails from my hand, wiped the blood from my eyes, and grabbed a Roman soldier by the throat and said, it's your turn. I think anyone in this room would have done the exact same thing. Jesus had every reason to demand justice from God or to take his own justice, but instead he endured the punishment on the cross and became justice for bad people to make them right with God. So a lot of us think at this point, like, why does this matter to me? I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a murderer or a thief. I never cheated on my spouse. I'm not addicted to anything. And this matters to you because in Christ's prayer, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And I think this goes a lot deeper than just uh, the Romans not knowing that they were crucifying uh, Christ or uh, the priests not knowing they rejected Christ because they saw the miracles. They saw the, the wonderful things that Christ had done and they had their prophets to point back to Christ saying, this is him. So I think this goes for all sin everywhere. We, we don't understand the depths of our own sin. And to say that I'm not a bad person shows that we have a complete misunderstanding of what sin is and who God is, if we're going to be honest. We don't understand the attributes of God. We don't understand our own wickedness. When we look at sin, we have to understand that all sin, no matter how small, if that could even be a thing, um, is cosmic treason against a creator. God has a standard. He says, follow me. I created you. You belong to me. And we say no. We rebel against him. We hold our middle finger to the sky and say, I would rather be God. I don't want your laws. I want to do what I want. You should do what I want. And that's our sin. That's all of it. The punishment for treason and rebellion anywhere is, is death. Am I right? You know, if you, you know, rebel against your, you know, your country or um, you know, they have the right, if we're going to be honest, to kill you. So to rebel against a holy, eternal, and perfectly just God, the punishment has to fit the crime. So even a small little rebellion against a perfect, eternal, uh, holy, just God deserves an eternal, holy punishment, and that's hell. And I I really hate to sound like all fire and brimstone up here, but if we're going to be honest, that's the reality of the situation. You know, we, we, we can't just overlook it and say, uh, you know, that sounds really hateful and judgmental, so I'm going to ignore it. It's not how you know, it works. This is not the rest of postmodern society where we can just say, that's not true for me, and then just ignore it as if it didn't exist. It, it, it's black and white. It's, it's one of two places when you die. It's heaven forever or hell forever. And a lot of us look at our sin or, or the doctrines of hell or whatever, and, and we think, well, you know what, man? Like, at least I'm going to party in hell, or at least I'll be with my family or my friends. That's, that's not how this works at all. 
It's, it's, it's not cute. It's not some little heaven versus hell scenario for any of us. It's a hard truth, and I honestly, I hate the fact that I have to stand up here and say it, but the last things that anyone will hear as they take their first steps into hell is the cheers of the righteous and the angels worshiping God for ridding the world of the evil and rebellion that you've brought. That's a hard truth. I don't want to have to stand up here and say that. I'd rather tell you that if you're a good person or if you have a good heart, that, that, you're, that you're fine. But that's not how it works. That's not being faithful to what God has said. Being faithful to what God said is, is if you do not submit to Christ and you die in your rebellion, you go to hell forever. But we don't understand the implications of our sin because we don't know what we do. We, we can't understand the, the infinite consequences that our sin has. And I know this because Christ said we don't know what we do. We'll never understand. Just as much as we'll never fully understand the cross, we'll never fully understand the desperate wickedness that we have. I, I mean, I say this a lot uh, standing up here, but if, if somehow I could put every thought that you've had this week on, onto, uh, onto this screen... And play it for all of you. And everyone got to see what was going on in your head this week. You would run out of here and hide your face in shame. You would never show your face again. And I think you all know that. I know that. I would hate that. But we comfort ourselves in our guilt by making excuses for it. You know, greed is, is just security. You know, i got to retire one day, right? Or, like, what happens if, you know, I lose my job? I need, like, you know, $80,000 in the bank. You know, pride. Ah, it's just self-confidence, man. There's nothing wrong with, like, being all right with myself or, you know, letting people know how great I am because that's just, you know, it's a, it's a good thing for society. Or, like, I'm a man. I can't help but lust. That one hurts. Or they wronged me, so they get what they deserve. Just be glad Christ didn't say that exact same thing. And understand that there is no excuse for our wickedness when we stand before God in judgment. Because you won't be standing there with your friends like he made me do it. You'll be alone in judgment. And you'll stand before God and he'll say, defy me now. Rebel now. And a lot of us at this point are thinking like, well, my, my sins aren't so big. You know, I've never murdered or whatever. So you may not have murdered somebody, but, you know, maybe your life is just characterized by day after day after day of small sins. And when you stand before God in judgment, there will be a mountain behind you. And your ignorance is not an excuse because if it were an excuse, Christ would not have prayed for your ignorance to be forgiven. But with all of this said, there's a second half to this. There's hope in our own wickedness and a hope in our own sinful nature. And as I said before, we have to go back to the cross. God has made a way for sinful, bad, wicked men to be forgiven. 
What Christ suffered on the cross was more than just the Romans torturing Jesus or beating, beating Jesus or mocking Christ. That wasn't his punishment. Christ suffered more on the cross than any of us could ever understand because he was the sacrifice to God for the sins of all people. Christ suffered literal hell on the cross. Not just that he was beaten or, or really hurt or uh, rejected, but God poured his wrath for sins onto Christ, the sins of everyone who had put their faith in Christ, to end their rebellion, to give them a new nature, and to make something beautiful out of something broken. You see, when we look back at the Old Testament, and a lot of us, I think, are, are working through the Old Testament. Uh, the men's group is working through Judges. Uh, but, you know, look through, through any of it. Um, when someone sins, something has to die. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we, we think, okay, well, that's why bulls and goats and doves and whatever died, right? Well, if we look at Hebrews, it said, uh, that actually didn't take away sin, the blood of goats does not take away sin. The blood of bulls does nothing. But why, why would God say that, that we had to do that? Well, because it was a shadow of things to come. It was a shadow of what Christ was going to do on the cross. And at the end of it, when, when Christ is taking his last breath, his final words, it is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai, paid in full. It's, it's what you would see on the bottom of a receipt like when any of us pay off our student loans, like if that's ever going to happen, right? Yeah, that one hurts. <laughs> if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Um, so it's paid in full. There is no more debt for sinners before God, for those who would put their hope and faith in Christ and then live for him and submit to the will of God. Now, Christians, this is fun. When you become a Christian, do you still have a sinful heart? Everyone should be nodding up and down at this point. Okay. So becoming sinless is something that will never happen this side of eternity. It'll happen when you die because at that point you just are physically incapable of sinning anymore because you're dead. Um, it's this idea, uh, the big $5 word is progressive sanctification. We are slowly being, being made holy and sinless throughout our entire lives until the point when we die and then we are truly conformed to the image of Christ and then are incapable of sinning anymore. But, as a Christian, you will slowly begin to hate your sin the closer you come to God. You'll see little glimpses of your own wickedness and little glimpses of your own depravity. And you will be so physically and emotionally ill from this that sin will destroy, um, destroy that own sinful part of you. You'll begin to hate it. You'll hate your sinful nature. And that is also not instant. Um, that comes through, through reading scripture and prayer and begging God for heart change. Because sometimes we're not going to feel that something's wrong, but we're going to know it's wrong. And it's like, God, I know I should feel bad, but I don't feel bad. In that moment, it's like, God, I don't hate this, but make me hate it. Pray for it. You'll begin to deny your own sinful desires slowly, and you'll slowly begin to die to yourselves and begin to live for Christ. And you'll take complete joy in the beauty of what Christ has done, taking a broken sinner and making a righteous wretch. 
but we're going to continue to sin every day. But just as Christ prayed for us on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, what do we see later in the New Testament? We have an advocate. Christ continues to pray for us as we crucify him daily. It was our sins that crucified him in the first time, but it's our daily sins that re-crucify Christ. Not that Christ is eternally being crucified, but it's a figure of speech used in the New Testament. So um, we have 1 John 2, 1 through 6. I'm going to be reading it in a different translation again. I'm sorry, guys. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's the propitiation of our sin. Propitiation just means um, the sacrifice that it takes to appease the anger of God. Uh, He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. And that's a slow process. But we see just as Christ prayed for us uh, as he was being crucified for our sins initially and continues to pray for us today, are we praying for those who crucify Christ daily? Are we praying that God show mercy uh, to sinners in the same way he showed mercy to us? Or, or do we think that we have some righteous anger against sin and like, I can hate that person? That shows we don't understand the gospel. That shows we don't understand what has truly happened for us on the cross. Because just as we didn't know what we're do- we were doing, they have no idea what they're doing. You know, and, and rejection, um, rejection of the gospel generally happens for one of two reasons. Um, you know, it's pretty vague, but it normally falls into one of two categories. Um, some see the gospel as foolishness, and they think they don't need a savior for whatever reason. I'm a good person, or there is no God, or God is love, so he just gives me a pass. Okay, so that's, that's number one. Number two, others see their sin and they think that they have nothing to contribute to God. So if I can't contribute to God, God doesn't want me, so I'm just not going to try. And what, what God does through the gospel of, of Luke in this passage that we started off with, he kind of reconciles both of those points. And it's summed up in the two thieves. So... Both of these thieves were in just a completely, utterly helpless state. They were nailed to a cross by their hands and feet, physically exhausted, slowly suffocating. And the only thing they had free was their tongue. See, it's the only thing they had any control over at all was was their mouth and their tongue and what they could say. So the first um, was nailed to a cross hours from death, He saw no need to repent, and he felt no remorse or anguish for what he had done. The second saw his own sinfulness and Christ's innocence. 
And he said, I am getting what I deserve. And then he begged Christ for mercy, saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So we have the first guy over here on Jesus' right, and he's like, come down from your cross if you're Christ. And then the other guy over on the other side was like, bro, like, you're in the same spot. We're, we're all three dying here. Like, do you not understand? Do you not understand your position? You're being judged by God. And soon you're going to meet him and die in your rebellion. So the second thief sees the beauty of what Christ has done. He sees, sees the fact that Christ is king, and he acknowledges that. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I think we, take, we can take such great comfort in this thought. Um, sometimes I know for myself, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing enough. And that, is it really hot in here? I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry, off track. Um, you know, we, we think, I'm not doing enough. I could be doing more. I need to be serving more, praying more, reading more. And that's true. But look at the second thief, the forgiven thief. He did nothing for the kingdom. He just saw his own sinfulness and acknowledged it and begged for forgiveness from the king Christ. And he was saved. He was saved just as much as anyone else. Just as much as the apostle Paul, Peter. You know, he entered heaven with that same group. Imagine that. It's the full summation of what Christ had come to do to save wicked and terrible men when he took this pitiful thief to paradise with him. The first person Christ took back, the first person Christ saved, was this sinner who had done nothing and could not contribute to his own salvation. And I think that's an important thing to remember as we read and as we learn and as we work through this progressive sanctification day to day, that we remember that it is not the sum of our own actions and it's not the sum of our own righteousness that we're saved. It is by faith in Christ alone. It is by acknowledging that he is king and that he is the one who saves. Not you. You do nothing. You contribute nothing to your own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So where does this leave us? As I mentioned before, Christ was the propitiation. He was the sacrifice that calmed the wrath of God for sinners. We put our faith in that. We put our trust in that, that Christ made us right before God. And then we stop rebelling. Because with that, with that submission to the gospel, we have a new nature, we have a new heart. The Spirit of God now helps us live day to day to kill our sin. And this is repentance. This is the changing of your mind from what you had to what you see in Christ. You had sinful death and damnation before God, and we see Christ making a way for men to be right with God. And it's, it's just, it's submission. It's saying, I don't want to live for myself anymore because that gets me death. I want to live for Christ because he loved me enough to die in my place, to suffer hell and make me right with God. So repent. Like how, how do we, how could we be saved if we reject this? 
the New Testament, uh, later on, Paul says, if, if men could be saved by any other way, Christ wouldn't have come. Uh, to say that my good works can save me, um, when, when we look at what David preached on in the garden, where Christ said, if there's any other way, let it happen. If your good works could save you and God still killed Christ, do you serve a good God? No. It's the only way that God can make us right is through the death of Christ. Now, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of us will think, um, well, the thief was saved right before death. I mean, I can continue doing what I want, or uh, I'm not good enough, I'll make myself good enough, or uh, maybe I'll, I'll repent some other time. But, but we have to look at, at what happened with the two thieves. Um, one was saved, but the other was not. They both saw the same thing, and one did not care. You're not guaranteed another chance to hear this message. And I know a lot of like bigger dudes in suits are going to wipe sweat off their face and say, you might die on the way out of here. Well, that's true. Um, you, but you may live to be like 100 years old, uh, surrounded by your family, comfortably on your deathbed, and then just remember that I said this and just not care. So if this is striking a chord with anyone, just know that the time is now to submit, to repent, to accept the goodness and beauty of Christ because you're not guaranteed you'll get another chance. And even if you get another chance, you're not guaranteed that you're going to care. Christ saved one thief to give sinners hope. But he only gave, or only saved the one. And that shows us that, that we can't presume that, we're, that it, it can happen later, that we're going to be saved later. I, I hate that I have to stand up here and tell you these truths, but this is, this is honestly the most beautiful thing that we could ever imagine. That... God has taken broken, wicked, sinful hearts and made something beautiful out of them or made a way for something made for beautiful to be made out of them. You know, if I wanted people to like me, I wouldn't have said this. I say it because it's true. This is the only way to be saved. It is not some pluralistic idea that I can make myself right with God. It is one way, it is Christ, and that is it. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to stand here to preach your gospel. God, I just I ask that this take root in someone's heart, that this would um, this would comfort the Christians. This would comfort your church to know that salvation is final and it has been made and it is not anything that we have done or anything that we have contributed, but it is solely resting on you. God, I just ask that you would save someone. I thank you for everything that you're doing, God. In Christ's name, amen.